0: We're continuing in our series in the Beatitudes, and I hope you picked up uh, a sermon outline as you came in, or you still can go and grab one now if you haven't got one. And uh, we're looking this afternoon at the seventh Beatitude, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And uh, we see the blessing for that one is that they shall be called sons of God. And how appropriate the day before Christmas to think about peace. True peace comes from the promise, Prince of Peace. Now, I had put down Matthew 5 as a reading, but let us read instead from Ephesians 2 and Romans 12, and you will see both of those readings in your handout. So, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians, this passage is speaking about the vertical peace that we enjoy with God. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, were, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has, made, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. And then Romans 12 in this passage speaks about the horizontal peace that we enjoy with each other. Romans twelve seventeen, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. May God bless us through reading of his word. Well, there is a lot of talk about peace these days. This past week, Starbucks published a letter calling for peace after a number of its stores were vandalized. Starbucks found itself to be a target by protesters supporting Hamas after Hamas attacked Israel. And that's because the Starbucks union, uh, the union that represents Starbucks employees, had made this statement that said it stands, or it stood with Palestine after the Hamas attacks. Well, then Starbucks as a company had tried to distance itself from those comments to keep its customer base. And this back and forth spurred calls for boycotts by people in both the pro-Israel and the pro-Palestine camps all around the world. And in this letter, the boss of Starbucks writes, our stance is clear, we stand for humanity. We go on in my daily meditation. I pray for peace immediately. The executive team and I are privileged to serve you as leaders and I wish you all peace and love in the new year. Let us together build a bridge to a better future. Well, it's not surprising that this letter was criticized as being vague. It calls for peace, there's even a prayer for peace, but it doesn't suggest how this peace will be achieved. It's empty for Starbucks, or for Starbucks, it's simply uh, they're, they're an impasse. They, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to establish peace. Well, peace can only be truly established by Jesus Christ. He is the promised Prince of Peace. And so I want you to consider, in this broken world, we need peace. And this peace comes from the Prince of Peace. And in him, you are to be agents of peace in this world. And so children, I encourage you to draw a picture of brokenness in this world. Maybe you could draw someone who's unhappy or two people who are fighting. And then in the second picture, draw that same person or those same people, but now knowing peace achieved through the Prince of Peace. So secondly, you live in a broken world. Well, this is pretty obvious. Just consider the conflict in the Middle East. People are divided down the middle, Over these attacks. And what do people do with their anger and their frustration as a result of these different opinions? Well they sit down, they talk about it, they seek to understand what's led to this point, they study the history of the Middle East, they try and understand the position of the other side. Of course not. They go on Twitter, they go on Facebook, they make their message known with 140 characters. They use emojis to express themselves. They protest on the streets and vandalize stores. And we live in an age of increasing outrage. And it can be on any topic, it can be about any person. Where does this anger come from? James, in his letter, answers that question for us. James 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that wars in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So anger is a result of sin, sinful desires within us. Now, yes, there are times of righteous anger. We saw Jesus express righteous anger when he cleared the temple. But rarely, if ever, is our anger righteous. Instead, often our anger is about ourselves than it is about any righteous cause that we are supporting. This is also made apparent when we consider what issues that we are angry about and what issues that do not bother us. We are inconsistent. And we see this with nations all the time. There are certain issues that governments will respond to. Why? Well, it's in their interest to do so. There's profit to be made. But on the other issues, they just simply turn a blind eye. Even though atrocities are being committed, they don't get involved. The brokenness of this world comes close to home, with it being Christmas tomorrow. There may be people that you're not talking to, people who will not show up at the table because some offense has been taken. And then there are the fights and the arguments that are to come. Christmas is often a time of falling out. People say things they regret. It's a time of disappointment. Children, believe it or not, you will not be 100% happy with all the toys that you will receive. Now, many people deal with this brokenness by simply choosing to be alone. They don't want to be with anyone. Maybe that's how you're dealing with a particular conflict. You're choosing comfort and ease. You seek your own well-being more than you seek peace and reconciliation. Or you're quick to ignore disputes. You simply brush it all under the carpet so that it's never truly resolved. And it leaves it ready to ignite at any moment. It leaves you nervous that it will explode at any time. Well, the brokenness of this world and our daily relationships is very real. And so secondly, you need peace. This world needs peace. All this talk on conflict and brokenness is surprising when you consider there has never been as much talk about establishing peace in our world as there is today. The United Nations was set up to promote peace in this world. The UN peacekeeping force operates across the world. And it seeks to control flashpoints, whether that's in Cyprus, between the Turks and the Cypriots, or in Kashmir, between the Indians and the Pakistanis, in Lebanon, between the Lebanese and the Israelis. And these are all long-term operations. And then there are the hundreds of short-term missions and humanitarian relief operations, all to establish peace we have various charities again trying to promote peace amnesty international is one every year a nobel peace prize is given to the person or to the group who has encouraged peace in some way people can go to university and study peace and reconciliation studies but even with all of that our understanding or the world's understanding of peace is very limited Uh, As Rich mentioned this morning, when we think of peace, we think of the absence of war, the end of conflict. But peace that's described in this beatitude is much greater than that. Instead, peace is from the Hebrew word shalom, as we heard. It's more than the absence of war. It is the presence of peace, harmony, wholeness, flourishing. Consider probably one of the worst peace agreements that was ever signed, the Treaty of Versailles. The peace agreement that Britain and America and France made Germany sign at the end of World War I. A war where over 7 million people were killed, another 7 million were injured seriously. And the demand in that peace treaty was for Germany to pay, to pay for all the losses inflicted in that war. But the result of that peace treaty was not one of flourishing. It did not lead to harmony. Instead, it destroyed Germany, and it led to the formation of the Nazi Party, which took control of the German government. It led to an even greater war, the Second World War, with an even greater loss of life. This world desperately needs peace, but yet the peace that is established is often weak, and superficial at best. We can read of this New Old Testament. there were prophets who said, "Peace, peace, when there is no peace." These prophets, they promised peace, and yet the peace that they offered wasn't true or it didn't last. It was only momentary. The world needs peace. I coming from Northern Ireland, I constantly heard about the need for peace growing up. There was a peace process and the Good Friday Agreement that brought an end to the Troubles in 1998. The way peace was achieved was an amnesty. All those in prison for terrorist offences, including murder, were released. Tons of money was pumped into the country from foreign investment. It was to give us a new ambition, that of materialism. Is there lasting peace? Well, the bombing and killing have stopped for the most part, and that's, we're very thankful for that. And yet there continues to be much distrust. Politically, there is an impasse, and so the local government is not willing to meet together. And even how the conflict is remembered, that continues to be a flashpoint. Recently, the British government gave full immunity to all those in the armed forces who were involved in the conflict. But this has upset the families of the victims of the troubles who want the armed forces to take responsibility for their actions. And so the Irish government is now taking this to the European Court of human rights. And so do you see how difficult it is to establish peace? Our own society here in the U.S. is becoming increasingly polarized. There is much distrust. There are many divisions along a variety of lines. We desperately need peace for this country to flourish. During World War I, there are accounts of a truce that was unofficially called for on Christmas Day. The soldiers in the trenches, they put down their weapons, they met with the enemy to exchange Christmas greetings, to pass out souvenirs, to sing carols together, to even play a game of soccer. It's such a beautiful account, and yet it's also tragic. The best that man could do in the horrors of that war was a single day of ceasefire. Well, this world, it needs a true and lasting peace, and that is what we also need. Well, thirdly, peace begins with you and Christ. One writer puts it well when he said, we are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. Very simply, we need peace with God before we can demonstrate peace with others. So although this beatitude is often quoted by world leaders in their role in establishing peace, they miss the very origin of what Jesus is implying here. The origin of this peace is in him. The beatitudes, they are about kingdom values. To show peace to this world, you therefore have to know peace with God first. This is the peace that Jesus established between God and man. This is the peace for why he came to earth. That's why what we notice from our reading from Ephesians. Christ came to remove the separation that exists between us and God. He dealt with our sin. And so in doing so, he reconciles us to God. Jesus Christ came into the world to achieve peace between God and man. That's why the incarnation is so significant. That's why we celebrate Christmas. You and I, we need a savior. We cannot achieve peace by ourselves. We've already considered man's attempts at peace. They are imperfect. But Jesus offers us a peace deal that is perfect. One that will not break. In him there is justice. He deals with the cost of the war between us and God. He pays the reparations to restore our relationship with him. And this was accomplished by his shedding of his blood on the cross. Duguid makes this interesting comment, unlike the creation of the world or the universe, which was in comparison a relatively simple affair, a mere matter of speaking a few powerful words, Achieving our peace required a much more costly involvement on God's part. And so it's through Christ's redemptive work on the cross that we know peace with God. Well, peace with God results in you being a son of God. Peace is more than the end of conflict, as we've considered. Instead, it's a flourishing, it's a blessing. And this beatitude puts that blessing very clearly you shall be called sons of God. Now, some translations translate this beatitude as you shall be called children of God. But the reason that it's sons is because in those days it was the sons who received the inheritance. And as a result, in the ancient cultures, it was the responsibility, especially that of the eldest son, to establish peace within the family. He had to work out peace when a disagreement occurred. He had to intervene. He had to ensure that his family flourished. And so as God's sons, you have received an inheritance. Your inheritance is that you become like the father, like God, like father, like son, or if I can say it reverently, you become a chip off the old block. God is a God of peace. And so your responsibility as his sons is also to become peacemakers, The identity of a peacemaker is one that's often not appreciated. And sadly, that's especially true in the church. We want to be bold Christians standing firmly for the truth. No one will get in our way. While a peacemaker is seen as someone who is weak, who's willing to bend, who's willing to compromise. That can't be right. If we are receiving this inheritance from God, and God is not weak. He does not bend. He does not compromise, and yet he establishes peace. It's the devil that loves to destroy and see people fall out with one another. It's God who loves reconciliation. And so peace cannot be a peace that is established as a result of compromise. That's not peace. That is not of God. Peace is not brushing things under the carpet. It's not ignoring wickedness. It's not putting your heads in the sand pretending that nothing is going on. No peace comes from God. And so you as sons of God are to be agents of peace. You are to encourage the flourishing in where God has placed you. You are to be the one who's willing to bear the cost so peace is established. For God to establish peace, it cost him the life of Jesus Christ. And likewise, you have to be willing to bear the cost. To encourage peace. Too often the phrase is, no justice, no peace. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. For whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. In Northern Ireland, one of the most powerful peace campaigners was that of Gordon Wilson. Gordon Wilson lost his 20-year-old daughter, Marie, who died by his side during the 1987 Enniskillen bombing by the IRA, which killed this girl and 10 other people. And in an interview with the BBC, Wilson described with anguish his last conversation with his daughter and his feelings toward her killers and he said she held my hand tightly and gripped me as harsh as she could she said daddy I love you very much those were her exact words to me those were the last words I ever heard her say but I bear no ill will I bear no grudge dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life she was a great wee lassie she loved her profession as a nurse she was a pet she's dead She's in heaven and we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night." And this bombing was described as a turning point in the troubles because the attack shook the IRA to its core and pivotal to the change in attitude toward this sort of attack was Gordon Wilson's reaction to his daughter's death. He begged that no one take revenge for Marie's death and pleaded with the loyalist paramilitaries not to do so. The conflict in Northern Ireland was a continual tit for tat, and so it took someone like Gordon Wilson who was willing to speak these brave, these surprising words. No wonder one journalist said of Gordon Wilson that he was the nearest he would ever get to being in the presence of a saint. Wilson certainly was an agent for peace in God's hands. This journalist had met a saint in the truest sense of the word. Now, forgiveness does not negate justice, but justice is not in our hands, as we noticed in our reading from Romans. We are to seek justice, but justice is in the hands of civil authorities, not personal revenge. And ultimate justice is found in God himself. He establishes that. Your concern as a peacemaker is that of establishing peace, at times, that will be very costly. Now, rarely are are, are we going to deal with establishing peace at the level Gordon Wilson had to respond to. Often for us, it's simply not being valued. It's being taken for granted. It's not receiving credit that we feel is due to us. Too often, we value ourselves too highly. We're overly sensitive. We lack humility. And we are unwilling to seek peace. No, you are to seek reconciliation rather than proving that you are right. Clearly, this is a hard thing, but it is in Christ that you can do this. When you consider the cost that he bore, he can make it possible for you to bear whatever cost is involved. And so, fifthly, in Christ, you are to bring this peace to others. The most obvious way we bring peace is that of evangelism. Evangelism must be a priority for every believer. It's not left to a few, but to each one of you. You are responsible in the relationships that God gives you to share the peace of God with them. Think of those that you can reach out to. We just worked through a book on evangelism in our Sunday school class. And one of the big takeaways is the effort involved in our relationships. That is how evangelism works. Too often we simply want to dump on people and then run and then say, well, it's in God's hands. But rarely is that how it works. It's not how God worked in my life, and it's not how God worked in your lives. So bring peace by speaking the gospel into the various relationships that you have. The other area where you are to bring peace into is to the church. This should go without saying, but sadly, it needs to be said. Churches are easily divided. Even though we as believers are peacemakers, we often desire our personal privileges rather than desiring peace. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, you are to live peaceably with all men. Too often we excuse ourselves. We say, I'm just the kind of person who says it as it is. I can't help it. No, as sons of God, your speech should be seasoned with peace. You don't inflame a situation. You don't gossip. You don't get angry. Breakdown of relationships can happen in any church. Just consider the church in Philippi, a church that Paul had many good things to say about in his letter. And yet in this church, you had these two women, Yodia and Syntyche who were in a public disagreement. And these weren't two immature believers. Paul describes these women as those who labored alongside him, as his fellow workers, and yet they had fallen out. Paul entreats them to agree in the Lord, and he asks others to help them. And so it's Christ who establishes peace. That is what unites us. That is what gives us a peace that is beyond understanding. And so your focus needs to be on Christ and not on yourselves. And is there someone that you need to agree in the Lord with? You don't have to agree with their politics. You don't have to agree with their diet or their hobbies. But You do need to agree that you are in Christ. There is no greater thing that unites us. As a result, you are to be active in seeking peace in this church It can be easy to simply walk away when you see brothers or sisters falling out, to leave it to others to figure out for themselves. Or maybe you're the one on the receiving end and you're quick to tell that person, stop intervening, mind your own business, or you wouldn't understand. No, you should be humbled when someone calls you out and be willing to take that on board. Paul calls us in Ephesians 4 to bear with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And John Owen picks up that phrase, bond of peace, when he gives an illustration of a man picking up branches. These branches are all different shapes and sizes, and so he binds them together with a rope, with a bond, so he can carry them home. Sinclair Ferguson says, So it is in the church what a varied bunch we are. How will Christ carry us home? Well, he ties us together with the bond of peace. Cut that bond and you cut the cord Christ himself had tied. They say you can't choose your family. And in some ways, you can't choose your church family either. We're all different. And at times, we rub each other up the wrong way. But it is through Christ that we can be at peace with one another. And he even uses the conflicts in our church to sanctify us when we respond in the right way. Dodson says, a peacemaker chooses to approach tension in relationships as God's appointed grace for mutual change. So that person that you are struggling with, maybe that person you prefer not to talk to, I encourage you to reach out to them, remembering that you're both in Christ. Seek the peace of the church by loving one another, even when that is hard. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love helps you be patient with one another. Ferguson continues, peace, harmony, and well-being of our fellowship must have priority. We will subordinate other considerations, our will, our position, our natural desires to the shalom of the fellowship. This is who you are as peacemakers as you seek to bring peace into this world. At times, this will be a frustrating calling. There may be more discouragement than encouragement. But you can look forward to a day when peace will be fully established, when this world will be recreated in peace, when swords are hammered into plowshares, when lambs lie down with a lion. That is the peace that we know for all eternity. That is the peace that Christ has established. And so in this broken world, we need peace And that peace comes from the Prince of Peace. And in him, you are to be agents of peace in this world. I was reading a report from the president of the Baptist Union in Ukraine, and he notes how 300 of the churches in that union are now in occupied Ukraine. 200 pastors have left. 61 of those churches have been destroyed. And even though half the members of those churches have left, These churches are full every Sunday. He writes that they have never had so many opportunities to share the gospel. People have lost everything. They have many questions. They are angry, but they're also open to the gospel. They are seeing people come to Christ. They're even seeing new churches planted. Hope is prevailing because they have learned to trust God beyond anyone else. And so in the brokenness of this war... They have found peace, a peace that only Christ gives. He is the Prince of Peace. That's where your peace comes from. And so in him, be agents of peace in this world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world of of brokenness and conflict. We see it in our own lives, and it hurts us greatly. We see how our own efforts at establishing peace are feeble and weak. And so we need a greater peace, a peace that can only be found in Christ. And so we thank you for Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. In him there is reconciliation between God and man. We thank you that in him there is flourishing and blessing, so evident in that we are called sons of God. We thank you that in knowing peace, that we can have peace with one another. And so, Lord, help us to be agents of peace, that we would be faithful in reaching out with the gospel of peace to those around us, that we would seek the unity of the church, this church here, even willing to sacrifice to do so. And so, Lord, we ask for your strength to enable us to do this, and that in times of frustration, we pray for the peace that is beyond understanding that comes from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your psalm books to Psalm 122b, Psalm 122b, this psalm is a prayer for peace within the church, and so as you sing this psalm, let that be your prayer for the church here in Bloomington, that we would even be willing to sacrifice our own selves to promote peace in this church. Let's so stand and sing Psalm 122b.